Welcome to Say It With Guitars. I'm your host, Pete Cornelius. Each episode, I'll be digging deep and getting to hang with some of Australia's finest guitar pickers, songwriters, producers, collectors, and makers. I look forward to bringing you these fun conversations and I hope you enjoy Say It With Guitars. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast podcast all about guitar. That's right. Hope you had a listen to the Billy Tarrant episode that came out a couple of weeks ago. It's cool to hang out with Billy and have a chat in his uh, in the workshop right there in Devonport. Hope you've had a chance to have a look at his Instagram and his website at some of his beautiful builds. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be hanging out with Tom Busby and Paddy Marshall. They're the driving force of the six strings behind Luca Brasi. So it's nice to hang out with these boys and have a chat over a nice, cold, refreshing beverage. So yeah, stay tuned for another episode of Say It With Guitars. Before we crack into today's show, I'd like to shout out to our sponsor, Mr. Billy Tarrant from Tarrant Guitars. Billy's an amazing luthier and he makes some real sweet instruments. I'm lucky enough for him to have built me a double O size acoustic guitar, which I've dragged all around the country and it's sounding better than ever. So yeah, check out tarrantguitars.net.au. Tessie's one-stop custom workshop for custom-made guitars, all guitar repairs and services. Let's get into the show. All right. I'd like to welcome to Say It With Guitars podcast today. We've got Tom Busby and Pat Marshall. How are you, boys? Good, thanks. Very well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for joining us on this uh, balmy, what are we, Tuesday night? <laughs> Tuesday night. Tuesday night in the balmy South Hobart. Yeah, the coldest, worst part of town. But <laughs> heat pumps have been cranking all day. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, or, or it's a um, air conditioner, reverse cycle air conditioner <laughs> yeah. for those mainlanders who are wondering <laughs> yeah. what a heat pump is. Yeah. Um, so today's a bit different. Uh, typically it's over Zoom, but today I've managed to get in the living room and we've got two two guitarists to chat to. So this it's going to be quite dynamic today, I reckon. Hopefully we get to uh, nut out a few world guitar problems and, you know, create a few while we're at it. <laughs> I'm sure Absolutely. we will. We've had a few. Oh, so many. <laughs> so many guitar problems. Over this. <laughs> yeah. Still no answers. <laughs> yeah, it's still an endless, uh, endless jam. Yeah. So, for those folks who might not know you guys as Tom and Patty, um, you guys are from the band Luca Brasi. That's it. Um, who are also a sort of local East Coast band from my neck of the woods where I call home. You guys have sort of strayed from the nest a little bit. Um, but give us a little background maybe on, I guess, Tom, maybe you could sort of start off because yeah. you've been in the band a little bit longer than Patty, but um, could yep. you give us a little rundown of how you guys formed or a little bit of, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, history. it's funny I get asked this because Facebook memories today, 10 years to the day since Pat played his first gig with us. Hey, Unless go. it was like posted a few days uh, later. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but well done on 10, ten years, years, mate. Hey? Yeah. Oh, thank years. you. Yeah, yeah. The gold watch is in the mail. <laughs> um, the band started... Like 2009, there was discussions of it. Tyler, our singer, and I 
put it together with um, Mitchell Dobson and Saxon Hall, who aren't in our band anymore, but East Coast guys as well. So we started in Lonnie. Um, we just kind of wrote a handful of songs at the back end of 2009 and did a demo, which I think we put out in February 2010. And then I think we did our first shows a month later. And that's kind of how wow. it started. Um, it all seemed a bit of a whirlwind of the first few months. It happened pretty quickly. Our first show, I think we did like seven songs. One of them was a Descendants cover and, yeah, and then a few years later. Was that in the kitchen, that show? The first show was in Sophie Campbell's living room. Yeah. The first proper show was at the Royal Oak. Yeah. We definitely played a few kitchens that year. We played at our friend <laughs> Isaac's kitchen. We yeah. Sold out the kitchen to it. Oh, we sold out. The, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, those were like. A tea towel merch. Yeah. Oh, man, they were fun days playing. People's sheds and stuff. Great. Um, and then a few years later, yeah, 2012, we asked Pat to join on third guitar and backing vocals. Him and Tyler were in bands together in school yeah. and they we did an acoustic show and those two guys were playing and singing together and I was just like, these two blokes need to be in a band together. And if they're in a band together, I better be in the bloody band too. So I was like, <laughs> hey, Tyler, what do you think about getting Pat in? And yeah, we'll, we don't need three guitars, but it'll be fun. Yeah, and um, no one needs three guitars. No. It's nice to have. Yeah, it was <laughs> fucking excellent fun. And um, Pat was still in Hobart, so we would just jam when we could and um, started riding together. And yeah, and then Saxon Dobbo left a few years later. Then we got Danny, again East Coast guy, grew up playing in bands with Pat and Tyler. Yep, and it's been the four of us since two thousand and thirteen. It's a small list of East Coast drummers to choose from, really. Yeah, it was really, yeah we, we had both of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a pretty small pool of um, players or even venues. Like how did you guys go in the early days? Like did you spend much time on the coast playing live shows or was no. it more Lonnie Hobart? Lonnie and Hobart. Still to this day we've played very little shows up the East Coast just because of lack of appropriate venues. We did a couple of cool acoustic shows there. Last year, year before, middle of COVID. Yeah, yeah. 2020. Yeah. At the Memorial Hall, yeah, which was cool for that kind of gig but not really for a rock and roll gig. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's something we've always wanted to do but not been able to really yeah, find the right place. Yeah, it's ex an expensive endeavour to get all the gear and PA and yep. everything. Especially the venues aren't equipped for those sort of yeah. shows. It's like not like going to the Oak and the PA's there. Yeah, and yeah. that's right. So you're sort of like creating your own monster, you know, yeah. sort of dragging in. Everything, yeah, and it gets yeah. expensive. It's um, expensive quickly. And time-consuming and you end up multitasking far much more than you think you, you need to because ideally you just want to walk on stage, yeah. play the gig um, and go back to your luxurious hotel room. <laughs> Mum's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, in the real world you're out there, you know, lugging in PAs and yeah. doing And the all the costs yards. add up so quick and then you work out, all right, you can sell this many tickets. Is uh, are we just going to be thousands and thousands of dollars in the red? Yeah. And when you're the little punk band that could, you just can't. <laughs> you, like basically, when we play Tasmania, that's supposed to fund the rest of it. Oh, it's a bit better now. We've been around for a while, and we sell pretty decent tickets. I mean, for a shit band, we sell <laughs> decent tickets. But in the early days, it was like kill it, and Lonnie and Hobart. Yeah. Squeeze every penny, and then lose it all immediately in your first yeah. trip to Melbourne spend, or whatever. You know, spend it all on flights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that piece of water really makes it hard for a touring outfit to to make any sort of living. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's good fun to yeah. get off the island. Yeah. It's good fun and, and it's great experience, good networking, but yeah. I tell you what, that piece of water just sucks out every penny you might have even yeah. half polished. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it seemed like the biggest hurdle in the early days. Yeah. Like to get our first one interstate was yeah. felt impossible. Calling in every favour yeah. you possibly could. Eventually it happened. Someone heard the demo. Yeah. And it did happen. And that's great. But like trying to get it to happen was brutal. When, when was your first uh, mainland tour? Can you guys remember that? Yeah, barely. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2011, we did Melbourne and it was an Australia Day show. These guys used to put on a fundraiser for the Refugee Council and it would be maybe 10 or 12 bands from all over the country that would. Yep. So we got to play with some of our favourite bands. Great. It was amazing. We played with Headaches. Yeah. Um, Shane Collins, sadly no longer with us, but he was the singer in Headaches and he used to be in a band called The Gift Horse. Massive influence on Luca Brasi. In the early days, they were one of the yep. bands we wanted to be like. I remember playing at the house party on the Friday night and seeing this very tall Brisbane guy at the back and going, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And then just spotting all these Melbourne musos from these punk bands that I really, really liked. And just, yep. It was a very fun weekend. It was cool. Did you feel the pressure? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, <laughs> I remember vividly Jamie Hay from A Death in the Family was in the crowd and I was playing this song and I looked up and spotted him and I was like, holy shit, that's Jamie Hay from A Death in the Family here. And then there was a bit in the song where it's kind of stopped and I did a din and went din like just cooped it and I was just like, fuck. I was so embarrassed but, yeah, the pressure got to me. That still happens. To me today, I reckon. Like yeah. you see someone who's another muso in the crowd, yeah. like from a band, you know, and like, oh, man, I've really got to be on my game now. Because you want, everyone wants to be respected by their peers. doesn't matter how many other people are there. It's just yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. The peer yeah. pressure. I, I love that, to be honest. Like a little bit of that goes a long way. I, I, I wouldn't want a muso in every crowd that I knew who was going to be like taking notes. But yeah. it's <laughs> nice to have a peer in, in the audience and to feel the pressure because sometimes, I don't know, about you guys, but sometimes like after a lot of shows, you can just sort of go into autopilot a little bit and yep. just sort of like slip into the song you've played a hundred times and, you know, go through the motions almost. It's always exciting, but it, sometimes you just find yourself slipping into that, um, especially if it's in a bit of an uninspiring venue or the mm. crowd a bit uninspiring. But, but to have someone in the audience who is a respected member of the music community. Yeah. It's sort of, I love it. It makes you feel alive and, yeah. you know, you sort yeah. of sweat bricks a bit and get it done and it's, and especially icing on the cake is if you get to meet them perhaps afterwards or. Yeah. yeah. And they sing a bit of praise. That's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that meant everything to us when we were young and we're going over and we're playing with these bands that we loved and, um, yeah, getting the, a pat on the back. It was just like. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really, really fun. Anything um, positive come out of that? Um, like was there some networking or some sort of favours? Yeah, well, we met bands from all over the country. Tours. So whenever we went anywhere, we had somewhere to stay. We had gear to borrow or, hey, our band's playing. Why don't you come play with us sometime? Or, yeah, yeah. it was no like – it was very – it felt massive to us at the time but it is a small scene so there was no like – 
hey guys, I'm going to put you on the big show. You're going to be hot shots. But <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, everywhere we went from then, we had at least a couple of friends. Great. And then yeah. from that, you kind of met everyone else. When you got to their city, it was kind of the start. Yeah. Start of all of it. Yeah. yeah. We always kind of just had, you know, one group of friends who was a band like in each city. So, yeah. oh, we're going to Brisbane. Oh, we'll stay here. We'll use their gear. Oh, we'll go to Sydney. We'll hit this person up and use their gear. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I, th- I think that happens with a lot of genres that I can sort of relate to that as well with the sort of Blues and Roots crew that yep. are very supportive and, yeah, especially like with gear and stuff like that, um, more than happy to lend their yeah. amps or yeah. community kits yeah. and, or even their cars and because the same they, – they know the same favour might apply one day yeah. if they want to come to Tassie and hang out and, and no worries, yeah, i got a couch, i got a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a wagon. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why we do it. There's that – that's the fun – yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh, get this show over with so I can go and drink a beer with my friends I haven't seen in ages. <laughs> yeah. Or you're at dinner, it's like, fuck, we've got to go back to the venue. Sometimes I'm like that. Yeah. <laughs> Not always. I do enjoy actually playing music. But there are times where I'm like, the biggest reward of this is... Yeah, it's the hang. That, the hang, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is such a rewarding, but it's good that it is rewarding because there are yeah. so many quirks to the touring uh, machine. There's no money, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. all it all helps. Yeah. So give us a little uh, a little rundown on how do you guys interact? Not necessarily on stage, but when you're perhaps writing or or rehearsing a, a particular songs or or an upcoming record or a tour or whatever. Do you guys? Approach it as like, okay, I'm going to be the power chord guy and I'm going to play the melody or or do you just like see who comes up with what ideas or like give us a little insight to um, how you compose a song. Like how do you think about your own guitar parts as yeah. a collective? I think um, originally it was probably I was the more the rhythm power chord guy and Busby was doing the shredding because Busby had written the songs essentially in the early days and I guess because I'm doing quite a bit of singing as well but that's changed, dynamics probably changed a little bit now where I write a bit more as well. So, um, yeah, it's a bit more, Tom's usually doing more of the open tuning uh, noodly stuff. I'm doing more of the standard stuff and it's kind of built around who can play what at what time. So if I've got a yep. chorus part that's a bit tricky to sing, okay, I'm not going to be playing this lead riff, Tom, you have to play that, sorry, that yep. kind of thing, yeah. There's lots of pragmatism. And Luca Brasi, there's plenty of bits where I'm in the weird tuning and the lead part's in standard tuning. Well, Pat, you have to play it. And, yes, you're singing. So I suck it up. And you'd be <laughs> very surprised at how often he's like, 
just works it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, every now and then it's just like we've, reco- you know, arranged it, recorded it, and then at the first rehearsal before the tour was like, hey, what are we doing? This is, it would make so much more sense to switch things around. Even songs we've played for ages, I'm like, hey, can I play that part? That would be so much easier to get in the next bit. Yeah. So sometimes it's very well thought out and sometimes it's just whatever. I guess because we don't think about that when we're writing the song. It's just, you know, lay the parts down. Yeah. Didn't really think about who played it. And then it's, oh, I played that in the studio. I guess I'll play that live without really thinking about what else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's it's a pretty nice way to have it if you guys can collectively just pass that on to the most easiest uh, accessible sort of, you know, like, yeah, like you said, if you're singing a chorus or you're in a funny tuning, that's that's a good way to, to attack it. Yeah, like I said, pragmatism is always involved. What is going to make the most sense, create the less headaches. Yeah, streamline. Yeah, yep. and, you know, there's never any like, oh, I can't play this part. I don't want to play that bit. Yeah. We kind of... In my head, maybe. I wouldn't wouldn't admit it, though. (laughs) You wouldn't admit it, yeah. It's not like, oh, it's Steve Vai versus Tom DeLonge or anything, you know what I mean? Pretty neck and neck (laughs) skill-wise. And we grew up listening to a lot of the same music, so we kind of get what we're doing. It's not like, what is that? How do you do that? Yeah. We kind of get what we're doing, so... Do you guys often find yourself almost coming up with the same stuff, do you think? No. I think we've got two pretty distinct... Songwriting styles, I think, yeah, quite different. Yeah, yeah. Pat, Pat writes the hits. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we have a joke. So a lot of the albums I've contributed the majority of the music to, let's say, eight of the songs and Pat's kind of got the ball rolling on the two others and those two others are the ones that get on the radio. <laughs> yeah, right. Prick. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. No, I think it's um, two different approaches. I've and I think we're good for each other in a way because I'm definitely like the keep it simple approach whereas I like to write a song quickly, all right, that's it. But sometimes it's too simple yeah. and Tom kind of goes the other way. Like his songs are way more complex but sometimes he can go too far. So I think between yeah. us, if we get together, we kind of reach the happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm mm. always paranoid of being pedestrian and that is sometimes like a good idea for a song but what, why are there four extra notes there? Yeah. Does it really, the chorus need to be in 7-4? That's pretty silly, man. What are we doing? <laughs> and Pat ran it back. Yeah. And then every now and then with Pat's songs, I'm like, what if we just do a little bit of something here, man? Yeah, and yeah. Just a little bit of good. spice on top. Yeah. Bit of seasoning. The seasoning. Mm. Yeah, cool. That's good. You guys can, you know, uh, evenly work that out and not feel the need to sort of have the spotlight or, or to sort of like fight it out for the... For the, the glory, the glory. Yeah, yeah. not at all. Really, this, this, because Tom writes a lot of. Yeah, we've written a lot of songs in the past that haven't made it to records, and it just comes down to whatever Tyler feels comfortable writing the lyrics to, essentially. Because okay. we might have a great song, but Tyler's not feeling it or can't come up with something that's going to work for him vocal wise. So it just kind of gets shunt. Yeah, Is that we, yeah. What generally happens? Do you guys generally come up with medi- um, melody and, and rhythm and stuff, and then Tyler? puts words to that is that kind of the generally we just get the music ready and Tyler will write kind of words and some melodies around it and then we'll get together and kind of flesh out the melody for the okay. vocals but all yep. the lyrics are 100% Tyler yeah yeah right he's that's his yeah I wouldn't even try and get involved he's so Man. much better at that than Dude, the rest I, of us I swear <laughs> too much to write lyrics it's like <laughs> I've never expressed myself you know intelligently once <laughs> ever 
Oh, you're sounding great. Ah, thank you. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put the glasses back on. Oh, hang on, here we go. Oh, yeah. Intelligent <laughs> levels are going right up. Oh, shooting to the roof. Almost sold world hunger. Let's go. <laughs> so you guys mentioned some um, open tunings as well. Take us through what sort of approach that is. Does that the open tunings help you create, do you think? Like find yeah. new positions and new sounds or, or do you kind of like – go there by default or like give us a little insight to that there's a lot of different ways I might end up in a weird tuning sometimes there's ones I'm familiar with that I really like the common one especially in our I guess emo and pop punk and punk rock scene you know F-A-C-G-C-E it's a bit of a standard tuning in that uh, I think the the niche genre term is Midwest emo <laughs> if we're getting right into it yeah. but you know that kind of noodly clean emotional kind of thing that is seasoned in our music a little bit, um, you know, I might just hey, I'll put it in the tuning and muck about and see what happens. Sometimes it's I'm playing something and I'm trying to get a melody to be a bit more flowy so I kind of want open strings in there and just find something that works or I've changed one string and then I'm going, hang on, if I change this other string then I've kind of got this chord open, oh, wow, cool. So sometimes yep. it's very deliberate. Sometimes it's just sitting on the couch, half watching test cricket, half mucking yep. about and seeing what happens. Yeah. And then sometimes it's like I actually can't play what I want to play in standard. I have to change a string and then ending up somewhere ridiculous. But uh, how, how have you gone to find these tunings? Is it through experimenting on your own or is it like you've researched it or it's sort of both other artists have yeah. done it and you've read about it or... Yeah, a lot of times it's experimenting. A lot yep. of times it's finding out a particular song is tuned a certain way. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, uh, a lot of experimenting though. That's yeah. cool. Like a lot of them I haven't found a song in it and then learnt the song go, cool, that's the thing. I've just marked about it, ended up in it. But then like talking to other people, they're like, yeah, I use that too. So it's not like some outrageously <laughs> sick, you know, oh, I've got these tunings no one's ever used. It's yeah. always like an open D chord of some sort or an open A chord. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's not ridiculous but I've yep. just ended up there. Makes for a nightmare for our guitar techs though. <laughs> yeah. And then we tune down a half step live because – Easy on the boys' throats. Okay. So sometimes I'm doing the tech sheet when right. it's D A C sharp A C sharp E. What's that half step down? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like trying to type it out, going, "Oh my god, what even is this?" And then yeah, like yeah. actually got to. Get and then the there's capos yeah. on some of those too. So it's like sure. <sighs> open tuning flats with a capo and every now and then the guitar will be like. So just to confirm, the capo on the second is that how it's written on the tech sheet or? Yeah. 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 Oh, you guys tune down and then put capos on. That's cool. Like yeah, <laughs> we know, we know, we know. <laughs> yeah. Get the job done. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can't dishonor a capo. I think they're a great little tool. Yeah, they make you look cool. It makes you look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. I think so anyway. Yeah. They can make a chord progression that's been used a thousand times sound new just yeah. by whacking on the fourth fret. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially because there is two guitar players. Like even if you were to be playing the same sort of style of chord, you yeah. could just go a fifth up or a fourth up on the on the yeah. old capo and bingo. And we've, we've done that. Like yeah. literally had capos in different spots or someone's capoed. And someone isn't, mm. yeah. Just because you kind of get the best of both worlds. Like, if there's two ways to play this part, which one sounds better? Well, we can do one each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the wonderful tool. And how about, I know I was talking to Patty a little while ago, it must have been around New Year's, we hung out. Yeah. Um, how you guys have transitioned from real speakers and wires and tubes and things mm. to the digital world. The computers. The computers. <laughs> um, was that mainly from a touring perspective? Like, you know, your luggage goes down to like... <laughs> it's tiny yeah. little case as opposed to like pedals and yeah, hundred percent. We um, we had a big um, regional run booked, which we hadn't done a lot of before, but we we're playing much smaller places, um, and just hiring backline in those areas was just going to make the gigs just non financially viable. So um, we had a couple of mates who had the helixes, and we hadn't really dabbled in them. We kind of, like when I was growing up, those kind of things just were terrible. So I just always assumed they were always terrible. Yeah. I used to so always like, turn my nose up, Adam. Always. Yeah. So it was like a twenty-year gap where I just always assumed they were terrible, didn't pay any notice. And then a couple of our mates were playing them, and then we actually borrowed one off a mate and said, like, "Oh, let's just give one of these a go." And like, if they work, then we could just take them on tour, and we don't have to hire eight hundreds and and cabs everywhere and save us a bunch of money. Um, we plugged it in, like, to a parent, to a cab, and it's like, oh, wow, actually sound really good, <laughs> way yeah. better than I ever expected. Yeah. It was just a game changer. And then we bought two of them for that tour and then have never really turned back. Like, I still own my Valve 800 amp, but it doesn't get a lot of use anymore. Yeah. And do you guys use those in a studio sort of recording environment as well? Yeah. Yeah, we do. The yeah. last album was all done on Helix. Our oh, two songs were done at the studio in Melbourne um, and then the rest of it we did at home. Yep. And our plan was to record at home before the <clears> pandemic <throat> kicked off. Um, I remember like all the interviews like, you guys were stuck at home so you recorded yourselves like, yeah. <laughs> we actually, that was the plan. We did one song, did drums where we rehearsed and did everything else at home, sent it off to get mixed and we're like, we'll see how it goes. And we're like, ah, sounds good enough to me. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. And just... Yeah. um. That's also a game changer now, just us being able to record our own music because before, you know, booking three weeks in a studio when everyone's working, got other lives. Like I remember the last couple of records we did in this studio, it was like I'd work till five then I'd rock up at the studio, Tom would have been there all day and he's like, "Pull!" oh, you had hair at that stage, you were pulling it out. Yeah. And it was like <laughs> my turn to jump on the axe and you'd be there till 2 a.m., go home, get up, go to work. It was just a, like an yeah. awful time. Yeah, it sucks. Like, the records can't well but... Oh, just really painful. At what cost? <laughs> yeah, what cost? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, ideally we'd all be full-time musicians yep. perhaps and you just like live in a studio for half the year and the other half the year parade around on stages. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's uh, what, probably back 30, 40 years ago perhaps? If yeah, that was a, yeah. If you were selling huge amounts of records. But I think now um, we just have to adapt. We have to yep. um, get smart at making music economically and efficiently and keeping your sanity as well as your family and your yeah. you know, your bandmate's sanity. Yep. And um, I think you've got to diversify a bit and just – but it's, it sounds like we're not giving in too much. Like like if there was a sacrifice of a little bit of time but you gain inconvenience, yep. you know, I guess there would be a little – a bit of leeway for that. But by the sound of it, I actually haven't played a Helix myself so yeah. I, I can't – I'm, Get in there, mate. I'm on the <laughs> yeah, we'll take you in after this. Yeah. yeah. I'm on the fence at the moment, but I'm sure within the next hour or so. I mean, for us, <laughs> yeah. we do festivals and, you know, Johnny Shithead and the morons play <laughs> 10 minutes over time. I'm playing a backline amp, which isn't what I expect. Yeah. 
I don't know how my pedals are going to go. I need 10 minutes to tone farm. Yep. Well, this, hey, man, play 15 minutes over time. I just got to turn it on and plug it in. <laughs> yeah. And if it sounds bad, it's my fault. Yeah. Yep. And it's the same thing running to our ears in front of house. Yeah. We have cabs on stage just for stage sound because it's weird playing a gig and not having something blowing air behind you. That's as old school as I kind of get. <laughs> yeah. And um, what we've gained, I actually think we sound better now using Helix because if I played – a tube amp, I either had a sick overdrive tone and a good lead tone and a yeah. rubbish clean tone or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. And I could never find the amp that did both and I was never going to do the two amp yeah. thing. Ideally I, we would but we never made enough money to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even like just rigging it all up, man, can't be bothered. Oh, yeah, totally. So I just match the tone as much as I can to the record, as yep. Fender amps, as Marshall amps, as everything. Yep. And everything's programmed to one foot switch. There's no tap dancing anymore. Yeah. It's I always say I work in a music shop for those at home and I always say (laughs) when anyone's asking about this digital gear, I say amps are for boomers. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think we were talking before we kicked off, I do kind of miss the magic of you've got a cool amp in a studio, you borrowed a guitar you never used, what's this pedal and the magic that kind of happens. I miss that dearly but what I feel like I've gained is I'm never going back. It's just easy. I think it sounds great. It's consistent. It's, you know, it's never given me any grief. It's never not turned on. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, you probably miss a little bit of that experimentation or something because I kind of find myself just, I know the things that work in it. I know the, the couple of amps I like. I know the couple of delays I like. All right, what do I need? That. And I just kind of default to that. Whereas, yeah. you know, in the studio you might grab a wacky amp and like you yeah. said, a wacky yeah. guitar and it comes out really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Finding new sounds kind of by accident. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. kind of don't. I, I'm, I'm sure like because you've got, I'm sure you guys have got um, edits or not edits, what do you call them, pre-saves yeah. for song by song. Yep. Absolutely. And then... I guess once you've got your set list sorted, you can just then go program it perhaps. So it's yep. just like one one press of a button and you're on the next song. Yep, that's it. Does sometimes, does that limit the way that you can say express, maybe on a particular night you might want to jump on a bit of extra gain or maybe you want to find a fuzz or a wah or some sort of like other effect that is, is driving you that particular night because... I don't know, for me personally, when I'm on stage, I really don't have a particular sound per song. I kind of go, oh, tonight I feel like this fuzz is really working well with this guitar and this amp in this room. The the volume's dialed in at a certain level and it's just like humming. So I'm going to like play every song with this fuzz or or whatever. So I guess that kind of spontaneous creative side of it, is it still there to a fact, like to a point? Like can you still like get in there and turn a knob and have something that's... You can, yeah. but generally we don't. I guess the set seems to move so quick. I'm just worried about like, oh, the chorus part coming up, we've got to press this button, you know, like yeah. I don't have time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. I, I, no, I've always kind of had my pedal board and what is on for any particular part of a song pretty planned out. Cool. So I never really got into I get. I see what you're saying. It's an interesting point because, yeah, you've, made a patch and the chorus is all, everything's on one button. Yeah. You can set it up so you can run it as a pedal board. Like you've just got an amp in there and you've got pedals so you could absolutely gotcha. do it. You, turn on you can off, kind yeah. of do half and half. So you got half, you got your preset. Then in Helix it's called a snapshot. So that's where you program everything to one button. Right. And then you have the top half as 
storm boxes. So if you were in the zone for a little more fuzz, like our friend Mitch who got us into Helix, that's how he uses it. He has okay. snapshots for what he needs and then a few things are just on pedals so he can turn them on and off if he wants. Cool. It's very, very flexible. Yeah. There's a million different ways to use it, um, which is part of the appeal for us. Yeah. Even though we just use it one way. I but, use it one but way. But yeah. like when you're going to buy something, you're kind of not committing to this one way of doing it. Yeah. There's, um, you know, people use them with real amps and just use to use the effects. Yep. And maybe have an amp sim in there that's on a different thing that's just for the ears. Gotcha. So that's consistent every night. Yeah. I mean, there's a million ways to do it. That's pretty cool. And it's probably a really good ecosystem design. So, so it is flexible and it appeals to a broad range of yep. guitar players because as we all know, like, we're not just like all the same. We're also... Yeah, 100%. <laughs> we're yeah. also individual in our the ways that we create and the way that we play and the way that we interact with other musicians. So to have a product that does appeal to so many... You know, broad range of players. I think that's that's a pretty cool bit of technology there. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure it's multi-voltage too. So if you guys went to the states or whatever, you, yeah, absolutely, just like 110, no worries, bang. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Spot on. And I was listening to some of your music on the way down today in the car, and I I, I did notice a lot of single coil sort of sounds. Is that because um, I don't know for me when I when I picture heavier, distorted style tones, I just think Les Pauls. Same. JC and Late <laughs> But I'm, I'm hearing tellies and sort of, um, well, I, I'm presuming it's a Telecaster. I'm hearing like. Um, there's a few of them. There's a few tellies? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. A few strats. Yeah. Yeah. So is that conscious to break away from a, a sort of stereotypical sound? Are you guys like like the feel and sound of other instruments and. It's funny, the Telecaster in punk rock 10 years ago was everyone had Telecasters. And I think a lot of it, like when I bought my first Telecaster, I'd snap my Les Paul right. on the way to Melbourne. And I'm like, ah. Actually, no, when I bought my second Telecaster, I bought a really bright sounding Telecaster, which I did not know how to pull a tone with, but I knew it sounded good. I wasn't touching it. I bought a Mexican one and put a, like a single coil humbucker in it and that was my guitar for ages because it wasn't going to snap on the plane. Yeah. And they look sick as because Bruce Springsteen is cool as, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then also Jimmy Balderson who recorded our third and fourth album, Bloody Loves Single Coils. And so, this is where I handed over to Pat because Pat loves single coils and is yeah. the king of the Telecaster. Yeah, I started off humbuckers with my mate that always played yeah. and then... I don't even know when I got my tail. It must have been around about when I joined Brazi. I reckon I yeah. got one, probably because you had one. I thought oh, I better get one. <laughs> I just never looked back. I just love bright guitars um, and probably too much for a while. Like I think back when I played 800s, I think my tone was probably too bright. We used to have this weird thing where um, I was the rhythm player but I had a really bright uh, telly and a bright amp and you were kind of lead but you had like the darker Les, Les Paul into an orange and a, and a dark yeah. orange and I remember Nick our sound guy I'd be like oh I'm having trouble like marrying up your tones it sounds a bit weird but I think since we've gone he didn't word it that politely <laughs> by the way yeah. <laughs> yeah I won't say what he said but I think <laughs> since moving to the Helix we've got, like we've sort of sorted that out a little bit more with the, so the tones match a bit better but yeah I don't know I've always just loved the tone of a single call yeah um, yeah, telecasts are my default sound, 100%. And they're just a, a great 
starting point, I think, of Telecaster because they're so simple. Yeah. You know, it's like you got the three-position switch, volume yeah. and tone. Yeah. They're just indestructible. Their headstock's straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, when the guys that are a certain airliner. Yeah. Yeah. They fly really them. well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're just a great design. Was it 1951 or 1950? Maybe the Esquire came out or the Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And we're still playing them. Yeah. Great yeah. guitars. Love them. And, yeah, and we've since recently got into Stratocasters a lot more, which we kind of – I don't know if we turned our noses I up. I absolutely them. turned like, my nose up. You know, yeah. back in the day, like, you know, they're dad guitars. Like, you know, they're not cool. And yeah. then you find out actually they're really cool for some. Like if you do yeah. want the dad tone, like dad that's tone. the ultimate guitar. Yeah. Strat that's what the, we call the neck pickup yeah. in Luger Riley, the dad tone. Yeah, right. Or the middle middle yeah. pickup on the Strat. Like that's yeah. the ultimate clean tone. Yeah. 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 It's funny how um, comes and goes, hey, like for, for a long time there, the Strat was very uncool. But I yeah. think it's... I think we've gone back. I think we were all sort yeah. of like put that aside and we sort of yeah, yeah. played one in a store one day and I went, ooh, yeah. I kind of yeah. like this. I bought my second strap not long ago. Yeah. Because I was just like, I play better with it. And I've basically been a Les Paul guy for the bulk of the time in Luca Brasi, Telly as well. Yeah. And then each, I, funny enough, I did a parts cast of the year I turned 30 because I'm turning 30, so I'll get a dad guitar. That's what I told myself. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, didn't play it heaps because um, the bridge pickup was so bright. Yep. I changed it. It's still a single coil, just a, whatever, Seymour Duncan thing. It's a bit hotter. Um, started using that a bit more and I was like, man, I kind of want one with a humbucker now. So I got a HSS shell nice. pink Strat and it's yep. sick. <laughs> it's very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't work for everything, but yeah. the things they do work for, they're, yeah. they're perfect. Yeah. 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 They're uh, so easy to play. What? They are easy to play. Yeah, I don't know, just the contour and the, and the, the weight distribution and um, a lot of people get beef with the volume being so close to the strings, but I, I kind of like it there because it's, yeah. you know, you can sort of work your way around it. And Every guitar has got its thing that I wish was a bit different, but if you changed it, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Like the Les Paul, it's annoying to get past the 15th, 17th fret. Yeah. But. No, nah, they're sick. They're perfect. <laughs> and you, you know what I mean? Like Telecasters, sometimes when I'm trying to change pickup quickly, I find it difficult. Yeah. But like where else would you put the switch? It makes sense. And yeah. the same deal with the Strat. Yeah, my each time I palm mute, my pink is whacking into that volume knob. Yeah. Oh, well, who cares? The, the <laughs> verse goes to 20 seconds. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if I want something different, I just pick up another different instrument. Yeah. Because that, that's what makes you play differently. That's what makes the sound different. Yeah. And that's why you have a... a a variety of instruments in your quiver, perhaps. You know? Yeah. So you can yeah. get those quirks and sort of amplify the quirks, not just like try and make every guitar sound like the same. I find it weird like being a guy that works in a music shop and having generally heavy metal guys are like, oh, no, the nut width is not what I thought it was, so I have to cancel my order. And they're very like I like my thing to be exactly the same and they're yeah. all exactly the same. They're just in different tunings. Yeah, right. And I'm like the opposite. I want all my guitars to be different. Yeah. So when I pick them up, it feels different. And sometimes you haven't picked them up for a while and it's like, whoo. <laughs> yeah. So hanging out with an old friend, I f- forgot you were cool. Yeah, yeah. You're That's really right. funny and yeah, fun to have a beer with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All my guitars are all really different as well. Sometimes I just wish I had two that were quite similar because, you know, if you're playing a set and you're just changing a tuning and you kind of want the same tone, I don't have a guitar that's the same, so it's always gotcha. slightly different, but yeah. Or if you break a string that's intended to be on that song or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And the guitar tech's like two guitars behind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I, yeah, I think um, you've got to embrace the character of each guitar and yeah. totally, 
Yeah, make it for what it is. Yep. 100%. Can't have too many guitars. No, I, I keep telling my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are taking over a house though, so I don't have to uh, Yeah. One in, one out policy at the moment. Well, Teague's was in there in my studio room and she comes in and, huh, how many guitars do you have? And I was like, seven, I think. He's like, what's that one there? I was like, that's Angus's. Like, <laughs> mate, that's not mine. He's like, and what's this one? I was like, I bought that 10 years ago. Like, <laughs> it's staying. It's staying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, when I bought the Shell Pink Strat, I had to sell something to get it. Yeah. Like, you know, we're married. We've got a kid on the way trying to save up for a house. It's just like, I've seen a guitar I really, 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 really want. All right, you got to give something up. Yep, yep. Guess this is growing up. Sucks. <laughs> I got the job and a woman of house, a girl, a dog. So what happens now when everything I'm told I'll need just leaves me low and empty? Cause I'm a million collisions, slow and out of rhythm. A chemical explosion And that is all I told them Getting old has made me mean It's hard to see the good in things I felt a loss In an ice-covered car The dark, the frost And the unending doubt Everything I'll ever need is far beyond my reach Cause I'm a million collisions, slow and out of rhythm A chemical explosion and that is all I told them Getting older's made me got to ask I, I do try and get some industry related questions on on guests as well like I know that I've been listening to a few podcasts and a few audio ones have been talking about people's hearing and I, I find it quite interesting because you know I'm you know 38 close to close to 40 I've been playing music all my life I'm concerned I'm not concerned about my hearing but I am concerned if I don't do anything about it it's just going to deteriorate and, you know, without hearing, we can't play music. Yep. How do you guys, do you guys approach that? Because I, you're only wearing in-ears now, right? Yep. Yep. Do they, do they block out sound? They do, yeah. And you can choose the attenuation as well. You can, yeah. right. They've got little, I don't know what you call them, little inserts you can take in and out. So I know Tyler's just changed his because they were cutting out too much and he really missed the vibe of the crowd. Yep. Like we, do have a, we do have a crowd mic but it's not quite the same. So he's changed his to have less... Less blockage. And was that a conscious decision from 
an audio point of view or, or a hearing protection point of view or is it like a, a, a bonus of both? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm trying to think. Tyler got into it just because he could never hear himself in the fold singing right. and so then I resisted for a while but I did the same thing and then I was like, oh, my God, this is like having <laughs> struggled to hear myself sing over the band, you know, for 10 years. I was like, oh, this is amazing once you got it. And then... Uh, we got our own mixer that we took everywhere with us. So we just get um, um, our own feeds for this mixer and we get the same in-ears mix everywhere. So everyone's on it now. It just means you don't spend any time checking folds or anything like that. It's just plug in and you've got your exact mix. You set it, you save it. So there's no, you know, you're at a festival (laughs) and you're trying to get... Busby's like, oh, more Tom's Pat's guitar or a little bit more kick drum. You know, there's none of that. Again, when people play over time and stuff, that's what happened all the time because the guys who sang had to make sure their stuff was adequate and I just race over others. So I go, hi, man, I'm Tom from Luca Bros. Nice to meet you. Make sure Pat's guitar's in my fold back wedge. Put my vocal in it and uh, we'll hope for the best. See you in a bit. And, you know, it'd be be gigs playing. I can't really – I can hear myself but I kind of want to hear Pat Yep. Get some vibe going. Yep. Um, and with the in-ears, it's just like it sounds like you're kind of listening to the record um, and it kind of feels like you're in a band Yep. as opposed to my amp's really loud. I can hear myself and the kick and the snare. Yes. I know I'm in time. They'll do. It's so much more enjoyable. Yep. Um, I definitely didn't want to go on in-ears. I thought it was like, why do I need them? Yeah, but right. Just out of that, the boys wanted that set up. So I was like, cool, I'll get them. Yep. It's been really enjoyable and easy too really easy yeah i i enjoy it for the ease i probably miss the vibe okay of having them in and i also think it's it's bad for your mental health because you hear everything so clearly oh, <laughs> so like yeah. if i'm playing a guitar player I'm like oh i didn't fret that right oh my voice squeaked there so yeah yeah, yeah right so that can bit, that can be a bit of a trap a bit more microscopic yeah definitely of. microscopic like no one's probably hearing it out the front but you hear absolutely everything yeah, yeah right yeah and i suppose that but that sort of would that limit the sort of shows that you do? Like, if are you stuck to in ears now? Do you reckon, or is it like, can you go down to the local pub and do a quiet little gig and and still get away with it? Or do you think now you've had it? Are they? Is it, would would you be able to go back, or are you just like this is how it is? Yeah, with those acoustic shows, we just didn't use them because you know yep. what's the point. So yeah, I think we can. Can yeah. Okay. We don't rehearse with them. So we play together without yep. them. Um, it's just ensuring the guys can hear themselves sing. Yeah. Because they just thrash their voices. Yeah. So when, you, when we're younger, playing those tiny little pubs, just the gear, it's not, <laughs> as you know, you know, the fallback's not loud enough and you can't turn cymbals down. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bloody cymbals. If yeah, only we yeah. could turn them down. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you are playing smaller venues, the stage is smaller. Yeah. So therefore, you are closer to the yeah. loud. Symbols, yep. yeah, and then that goes through your vocal mic, and all you hear is symbols. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We, that still happens today. Danny manages to have the loudest symbols in the world, <laughs> and nothing you say is going to change it. <laughs> uh, nature of the beast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's weird talking about hearing. I got tinnitus when I was seventeen. I saw Against Me play in Hobart. Right, my ears have been ringing ever since, and I will go months without thinking about it. Right, and then I'll go through months where. The end is nigh. Funny enough, when oh. I got COVID, I swear to God, COVID made it worse. I had about five weeks where, you know, you turn the volume up on the TV and I can still hear it. Right. So that's been a on my mind mm. since I was really, really young. Because yeah, right. then I moved to Launceston and got to um, 
you know, year 11 and 12 at Launceston College and doing the audio design classes and they talk about protecting your hearing and all this stuff and people go crazy and jump off bridges and stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, my <laughs> yeah. ears have been ringing for two months before I got here and, yeah. you know, I've only gone a fair bit crazy. <laughs> but I do wonder, like, I'll probably have to stop one day because my ears will be so fucked. I've never got my ears tested because yep. it's just like, what are they going to say? Yeah, yeah man, right. your ears are ringing. <laughs> yeah, and you can't hear shit. So yeah, yeah, right. Hectic. How how have you coped with that mentally? Is it like you said? So the COVID th- period was probably quite bad. Was that you reckon because the world was quite quiet? You know, like, like there wasn't much activity. Yeah, going on. It was or, weird when distractions. Yeah, I when I got my first vaccine, I felt like oh, you can you kind of hear my ears ringing, but it's that's normal. Sometimes I can hear it louder. And other times. And then someone mentioned that, yeah, it's when I got tinnitus when I got vaccinated. And then when I got it, it was really bad. I just Googled it and they said like- Dr. Google. Yeah, Dr. Google. (laughs) They just said they haven't studied it, but it makes sense that it would affect your hearing. Wow. That kind of virus. And um, it seems to have gone back to the normal amount of- Right. Crazy ringing. <laughs> but, yeah, I can go a long time without thinking about it. I've gone months without yep. ever thinking about my ears ringing and yep. then sometimes it's bad yep. and you can't think and you it messes with your mood. Like when I was at uni, funny enough, didn't finish uni, trying to study, you're in the library and then as soon as you hear it, yeah, you can't you're gone. It. Yep. It's over. Yep. So, um. <clears throat> We'll blame that for why you didn't finish uni then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've also uh, got um, dumbass itis as well. <laughs> Was it from the same gig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do wonder about uh, having to give it up yeah. one day. Hopefully not for a while. I don't think it's gotten worse. I mean, being in a loud rock band for 12 years, I don't think I've made it too much worse. Yeah. I wear earplugs religiously. Yeah. And um, had. Had you worn earplugs religiously since that point, do you think? Yeah. Yeah? Like even when I was young, like going to the the pubs and going clubbing, I'd throw – like if I went to Hotel New York and London, I'd, I'd throw earplugs <laughs> in. I'd just throw my earplugs in. Yeah, because I had kind of long shaggy hair and I could hide it. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. One time I was um, on the Gold Coast, I was really, really young. We had this boys' trip, you know. Cavill Avenue. Yeah, and we were out at yeah, uh, yeah. some nightclub. And this girl has sort of sat down near me. She started talking to me and then noticed my earplugs. <laughs> and I was also drinking water because I was wasted. <laughs> oh, I was so pissed. I've been drinking all day. And I was the guy at the nightclub sitting in the corner drinking water with earplugs <laughs> in. And she fucking gave it to me. She you was so like, mean to me. And I was just like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> you was like, sorry, can't hear you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, took with you blocking out the heaters. <laughs> Can you abuse me now? I've got my yeah. earplug out. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, right. Did you have zinc on as well? No? No, but I was very sunburnt, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> Great look. Great look. Damn it. Yeah, it's it's funny how those things you take for granted until they arise and they create a little bit of a, um, a situation for yourself. Yep. So it's, well, it's definitely one thing I'm conscious of. Do your um, ears ring if you've been gigging a lot or is there something that's happening that's making you conscious of no, it or is it I've been no. gigging for so long? Well, that- it's, it's just this particular podcast that came out and it just made me aware of how sensitive your ears are. Like yeah. they are a thing that can be damaged and they are a thing that cannot really be fixed. Yeah. You know, with your sight, you know, there's a certain, I'm sure there's a certain few amounts of operations that you can sort of get your vision back to a point or, yeah. you know, if your leg breaks, you, you can just 
put a fake one on perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Around. Um, but your ears are like yeah. a vital part of our, not only our mus- musician's life but our, our general, you know, day-to-day human activities. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it hasn't. It hasn't caused me a problem, but I, I am aware of it and try and I try and do plugs too. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a long game. I yeah. think you know you put them in, and within two minutes you've, you're hating it. But I think, it's, I think it's a persistence that's yeah. worth it. Yeah, yeah. I think I've always been pretty careful. With I even remember in high school I wore plugs. I'm not sure someone must have got us onto it. I haven't really had any issues with my ears, but. Um, my dad just woke up one morning and he just lost hearing completely in one of his ear. Like he went to bed with like a cold and it just never came back. And wow. that's like terrifying. Yeah. Like I know that did his head in for, you know, a couple of years until he got used to it. But like the thought of that for me is like not being able to put on headphones, headphones. and hear stereo. That's yeah. like, oh, no, that must be yeah. so yeah. awful. Well, even just the orientation, like your whole body relies on, you know, two ears to sort of yeah. tell what – He's coming from where and just your balance and all this sort yep. of stuff. It's all related. So, yeah, I was just just keen to hear your perspective on that. And yep. um, I'm, I'm glad I've got a quiet drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wish we did. <laughs> Damn you, Danny. Yeah. You can borrow him any time you like. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Let's think about touring hacks. Is there anything that you guys have nutted out or worked out the way to get in and out of an airport or maybe like – actually? I've got a, a fond memory of um, catching up with you guys in the Melbourne airport once. I think yeah, I was on my way Tyler. to a gig. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have any um, transport booked. I was just like going to bus it or cab it. And you guys had a car. You're like, oh, come in with me. Yeah. I'm in the car. So we, we cruised around. I think you dropped me off at the ABC and Hell yeah, man. happy days. That was cool. Have you guys got any... Um, other little hacks like that? Or not, that was, that was a hack. That was just a friendly gesture. But. Uh, it's easy to sleep on the plane if you're real pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sleep on the plane is probably the first tip. Like I think uh, we've got a few of us who aren't great sleepers. <laughs> it's like as soon as we get on the plane, it's like everyone's just out and, you know, the photo will go round in the messenger yeah. thread of someone, <laughs> someone like this, neck. like with the neck like this. <laughs> yeah. So sleep when you can is probably the one. Um, since we've got a couple of dads in the band, or we've got three dads in the band now, in, in the band now but like after the gig, the two dads usually go to bed because we know, you know, that's our best chance to get some sleep is on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Tyler and Tom will be out partying until, yeah. uh, you know, how long. Yeah. God knows how long. Tyler's a little bit more careful because like losing the voice is a very real. I don't think so, I don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> Tom doesn't worry about that. But yeah, protecting the voice is probably like the key one that we've discovered, like I don't know what we did back in the day, we just used to scream, I presume, but like now I find it so easy to lose my voice and it's not from singing, it's from drinking and talking to people at the pub or at the venue, wherever you are. So now it kind of sucks because I want to go say hello to everyone, but now I've kind of got to like hang back and, you know, wait till the gig's over before I go and talk to people. Otherwise like not two comes around I've got nothing left in my voice. And I think the voice is so um, lifestyle driven as well or so influenced by lifestyle like if you if you do stay out late at night it might not necessarily just be the talking like it's just the lack of sleep or maybe you haven't had enough water or yeah or you die i don't know i remember reading a rock and roll guide to singing book when i was a kid you know yeah. like everything just kills your voice <laughs> yeah yeah literally <laughs> like, everything yeah like, i think i got through like four or five pages and went this is shit <laughs> <laughs> it's depressing it's yeah. depressing yeah yeah um 
But yeah, the voice is one thing that you know you can put a new set of strings on and yeah. you're good as gold, but you can't yeah. put a new bloody larynx in. Yeah, I've definitely done a few shows where there's just been nothing there, and it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun at all. Yeah, it's like the first thing people notice, like if they're going to see a band, if the singing's a little off. Yeah, you know what I mean. And these days, you know, I hate to sound like a grumpy old man, but everyone's got backing tracks now. We could play a festival. I swear to God, we're the only ones that don't. Wow. And so how are you supposed to compete yeah. with Mr. Mime and the Mimers <laughs> <laughs> when you've thrashed your throat? Yeah. And sometimes it's just crap timing. Like it's not even, oh, I stayed out too late. You know, I've seen so many times the boys have lost their voice. Yeah. Just out of shit luck or have been sick that week. Yeah. Like it must be. Generally it's our fault. Yeah. Oh, it's been so many times it was there, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Get a bit excited. It's usually the first night because you first get night of, fever. Yeah, first night of tour, like oh, everyone's a bit excited, and then yeah, got to rein it in. And you pay for it the next bloody two or three shows. Yeah. It's like, what was I doing? Yeah. But it was great fun. Yeah, it was fun at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, tell us about this uh, Wiggles cover you guys did. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, how did we get Shimmy approached? Shade. We just got approached by the label to do it. They said they're doing a Wiggles cover album. Do you guys want to be on it? Like, yeah. <laughs> dad know? cred. Yeah, yeah, dad cred. Like, <laughs> I might actually get some dad cred here. My kids might actually think I'm cool for a second. Um, and they had a like a list of songs. Oh, I think so, like some bands already chosen some songs. So we we're kind of going through, oh, what could we choose? We had a couple. And like the Shimmy Shack was there and I was like, that's like a very Ramonesy style chord yeah. progression. I reckon we could do that. Pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and I think you and Tyler were going to come around to just have a crack at doing something, but maybe you were sick or you couldn't come or something. I had to go to the hospital that day with chest pain. Oh, that's right. You thought you were having a heart attack. <laughs> uh, no, I thought of something with my stomach. And then they started testing my heart and I was like, and I walked to the hospital from work. I went, I'm feeling terrible. I'm going. And then they started testing my heart. I was like, of course I'm going to die after walking to the hospital with a heart attack. <laughs> and then it was all done. They're like, we've tested you. No, nah, whatever is going to kill you, it's not this. And then I said, what is it, Doc? It's like, oh, it could be anything. It might have just strained a muscle. So <laughs> I wasn't on that song. Yeah, right. Oh, for right. a very uh, embarrassing reason. I had a sore tummy. <laughs> sore tummy. But, yeah, what I was going to say is you said, oh, I can't come, but here's like how I think we should play it. And you sent me a, a video clip oh, of I forgot that. Yeah. you playing it. And, I, and I'd had a think about it and it was basically exactly – what I was thinking is that maybe you change one of the chords. I was like, I oh, changed sweet. one of the chords. Yeah. yeah, we're on the same page. That's easy. And then yeah, we, it just came together really quickly. Cool. Like it's just it's just power chords with a fast drum beat, and it yeah. was just really easy and fun. It would have been fun. It would have been almost like um, a hark back to your original like early days of because I, I imagine that sort of material because it has memories of probably childhood for yourself. Like I, I'm not sure. I, I wasn't quite in the Wiggles generation. Yeah, nah, me either. Me either. Yeah. But um. I'm sure it would have triggered some sort of like youthful energy or f fun factor. Yeah, definitely fun. And we, we had fun with it because if you, you listen to it, the drum roll at the start is just obnoxiously long because there's in the, in the Wiggles version, there's this tiny drum roll. It's like, do -do 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 -do. no, not even. I think it's do -do -do -do, something like that. Yeah. I'm like, let's just make that like go for like four bars or something stupid. So it's like, just like the stupidest drum feel you could. Yeah, that's great. We always try and like embrace those things. With a good attitude, like we don't take ourselves very seriously. And when there's an opportunity to do something like this, it's like, this is so sick. Let's make sure we have maximum fun with it. Yeah. And then, yeah, when we got to play with the Wiggles, we all rocked up in the 
coloured shirts and <laughs> and we did we close with it? We played it towards the end of the we set. Played it definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then someone filmed it and sent it to the um. Is it Paul Field? That's his name, isn't it? The guy that co-wrote the song with right. Anthony. Right. Um. And then he like posted it on Instagram like, oh, look at Razzy playing a song I wrote with my brother. How cool it was this? Oh right. man, what an honour. Yeah. yeah. Full circle stuff. Yeah. And you guys are quite iconically Tasmanian. I know a lot of your merch is very branded in the Tasmanian thing. It's uh, it's a great not only I guess business model, but it's it's a great kind of ambassador for the for the state. And it's quite cool. Quite I wouldn't say cute. As cute's the wrong word. Um, what's like a masculine version of cute? Cute. <laughs> Daddy's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. Um, and it's and it's always a little bit retro. Not retro as in like 50s retro. It's kind of like it looks a bit like VHS retro. Yeah. yeah. So that stuff. Is that – are you guys all part of that machine? Like are you all got input when it comes to the, the face of the band or is it all like controlled by – no, we all label or we we all sort that out. But a lot of the times, it's picking the right people to do your art. Yeah, choosing the right very person. very rarely give an idea. It's usually present a vibe or, and okay. some of these people that do art we've known for forever, so they kind of know us. Yeah, yeah. I think the the Tassie thing. Probably started because I don't know when the band first started going to the mainland. I was like, oh, you guys are from Tassie. Like what? Like, you know, yeah. Tassie's yeah. so uncool back in the day. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. I think you get it, right? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't really until we started doing like quite well for ourselves that people are like, oh, yeah, Tassie's really cool. And so like ever since like that <laughs> early stage we've just like, all right, yeah, you want to make fun of us? Yeah, we'll make everything about Tassie. So literally, you know. Yeah. All our all our merch, yeah, all our banners have Tassie stuff on it, just yep. to really, you know, stamp that logo everywhere. Do you have any T-shirts with like two head holes? No, but Richo's got the tattoo. I just, he's got the scar. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. There is there is the the photo shoot we did for Stay. There's that one where we've all got the heads. Oh, that's lined I forgot up, about which that. Which is kind of a joke on yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's classic, and yeah, totally embraced it. Like, yeah. When I first started touring the mainland too, I was like, you're from where? Yeah. Yeah. You used to just get so many like ancestral jokes. And yeah. People yeah. would take the piss out of us. Take the piss yeah. pretty bad. The, work, the thing that pissed me off the most was like a, a year or two in and people would, you know, say nice things about your band. Like, so when are you moving to Melbourne? <laughs> and, and I've said this so many times of like, it can't possibly matter to you that we flew here from Launceston or Hobart as opposed to getting an Uber from Fitzroy. Like- can't matter where we based. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. either liked the show or you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that always. I always thought that was weird, and I get a little bit stressed when I have a younger musician friend that goes, "I'm moving to Melbourne." Yeah. I'm like, everything seems so much harder over there. I don't know if we've just had it easy with you know where we rehearse and what we do and how close we live to each other and all of that. It just seems impossible over there, and I swear to God. 10 or so years ago, there were Tasmanian rock bands that moved to Melbourne and then just split up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I could I could count on, you know, hands and toes. Yeah. How many people I know that have made the migration to Melbourne because of all the bright lights and all the, yeah, the yeah. potential of all these venues and then yeah. potential of labels and and then just like losing the dream because they can't afford to, to eat, pay rent, so they have to go and get a job at you know, flipping burgers or whatever and yep. 
then they have to sell their, their gear to survive. Yeah, and exactly. then next minute they're pushing, you know, pushing pens around an office or they've just changed. I'm not saying it's losing the dream is a bad idea, but I'm just saying that, like, yeah, it can yeah. sort out a lot of people. It's not a, a guarantee. Yeah. No. no, definitely not a guarantee. And I think, like, I wonder if, if we had have ever done that move, like, what would have been our appeal to, I guess, the wider community? Because that really is the thing that sets us apart from the other mediocre punk rock bands out there. Is that we were from <laughs> we were from Tassie, Tassie if you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know how we would have ever, in, I guess, marketed ourselves for lack of a better term. I can't see what that. we would have gained at all yeah. ever. Yep. Yeah. Even when I was young, I was like, what possibly would be gained? Yep. Nothing. Yeah. And then. Over the last few years, you see younger bands mention us and say they did it, so we might as well. Yeah, and that's the probably the thing that gives me the most amount of warm fuzzies. Of yeah, you can do it in a way that suits you. Yeah, and we're not the biggest band in the world, but we did pretty good for four morons from the from St Helens and Scamander. You know what I mean? Like yeah. way more than I ever thought we'd ever do. Yeah, and you know. We didn't have to move to Melbourne. <laughs> Thank fuck. Yeah. When I'm not choking up, not completely, yeah. Maybe it's best not to know what's next. When the sheep retreat from the August breeze, could blow me off my feet. Don't call it a keepsake. What annoyed me was people were sort of prescribing a way to do it to us. And if you don't do this, yeah. you're really robbing yourself of joy and music and opportunities. Yeah. I never liked that yeah. at all. And that's going back to what I was saying before about younger bands saying that there's kind of seen us as an example. Yeah. And that kind of gives me relief because some people do go to Melbourne and or Sydney and kill it and have an awesome time yeah. and it works out perfectly for them. I just yeah. don't want young people thinking they have to yeah, because that's ridiculous. I think we were fortunate to find that scene that we did, which was quite small but yeah. had little pockets in each city. So it didn't take long for us to have connections all around the country. So I can see the appeal why people might want to go to Melbourne if they don't really have a scene they're a part of, like, oh, I've got to yeah. be part of something. Yes. Whereas we were able to do that pretty quickly with a few trips to Melbourne and meet people, like, luckily that way. So I guess that's the thing. If, if you don't have the connections, yeah, it's hard, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. And I think just having a good head on your shoulders and a good um, rapport with uh, not, even, not not only audience members but, yeah, with, with your peers and colleagues and venue owners, just sort of being able to 
have a good chat and sort of just like not expect the world, just like enjoy what you do and, yeah. you know, just sort of take it in your stride and have fun with your music. Like you said, like yeah. you, we're talking about having the fun element. Like it's it's just got to be good fun because I tell you what, it's... It's, <laughs> it's not always fun. It's yeah. not always fun. Sometimes it sucks. I mean, a few times I'm like, what is the point of this? And usually you get reminded quickly. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little longer for a while, but it's those, that sense of community that always yep. filled me with the most joy of touring and being in a band because yep. there have been times. I mean, we have behavioural issues at shows we have had in the past and as our band was getting bigger, like on the back of our third album, things were grim a few times and some really poor behaviour from punters. All these new people come to the show and X yeah. amount of them weren't buying into what the vibe was and I was like, what is the point of this? Is this just the playground for fucking idiots to yeah. do their worst? Yeah. And um, it seems a bit better now but then you're kind of reminded of the community you're a part of, the kind of message you want to put out to the world, how you want to present yourselves, looking after each other, not just – Bandmates, but yep. everyone in the community, you kind of buy into the vibe is the word I use. It'd be, yeah. be a better word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right too, Pete, a little bit of um, kindness and respect like for everyone else about it goes a very long way. Like I know we've probably got a lot of opportunities just because we've made an effort, you know, to talk to the venue staff or, you, you know, to look after the support bands, you know, use all yeah. our gear, whatever. Like it goes a really long way and I think sometimes that gets underrated with perhaps with bands starting out. Like you could go a long way just by, you know, showing a little bit of care and kindness to everyone else yeah. involved. Yeah. I remember we played, this is my favourite story of an ego like cooking it. We played in <laughs> Devonport in the early days and Dobbo, our old guitar player, was having amp trouble and he said to the guy whose band was headlining that night, I'll add one more thing. It was a young band from Devonport's EP launch. Right. They invited us to play. The guy who booked the venue said to them, you're not good enough to headline. My band will headline. Dobbo's amp's not working at Soundcheck. Excuse me, mate, may I please borrow your orange? My amp's gone. Yep. No, man, no way. I've got that dialed in. <laughs> oh, okay. And we've only played with Ride the Tiger and Ballpoint and yep. Link Lefebvre and yep. Phoenix. Um, what was Lights. Yes, thank you. And, um, you know, Half Mast and all those guys that we'd hung out with, that's who we play with. They'd do anything for you. Yeah. I was shocked when I heard that guy say it. I was like, what else are we going to fucking do? Yeah. yeah. We played. The EP launch band played. I'm not naming names. They played. Sick Night. Everyone's having fun. Everyone left when the, when the good headline band played. <laughs> <laughs> like literally everyone was like loading out cases. Like, see you fuckheads. Like, yeah. It was unbelievable and yeah. I just always think of that as the classic example of yeah. why are people dickheads in rock and roll, especially yeah. like, I mean, who even are you, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. F- for the good of what? Like for, for the, his tone? Yeah. Like, or was that like purely an ego? That's know, what, status, that was my impression. Yeah. Kind of that, like, comment. Yeah. yeah. And it's just yeah. like they were so rude to these Young guys that were putting out their first EP, they're like 18 and 17 and yep. they invited us along, which was sick and yep. they were just pricks the whole time to all of us. Yeah. And it was just, what? why that's are you doing cool. this? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it gives a bad taste, doesn't it? Like as soon as you get one group like that yeah. who, who kind of like 
you know, which put a bad taste in people's mouth, and then yeah. then you get associated with that quite easily as well. So, mm. yeah, you just got to be the best person you can. Just yeah. just be nice to anyone out there who's who's nice to you. Yeah. Well, even if they're not nice to you, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Give them a bit of a time. Especially with people's gears like cooking it. And like yeah. when you're a different city, you can't do anything yeah. about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <clears throat> Some bands are so pre- – like we've done support tours in the past where people are so precious. And I understand it, you know. They've got their gear, gear set. We're, you know, you're not touching it. You guys yep. – we've, we've done shows where like there's been backline of headline band Second support backline in front of that. Yeah. And we've had a third set of backline in front of that. And you're literally standing on the edge of the stage. It's like, yeah. oh, whatever. Like, I get it. You know, yeah. it's a big thing. But like, when we're headlining and support bands are playing, we're like, yeah, just jump on the drum kit. Don't worry. Yeah. Our just, techs hate it. Yeah. You, <laughs> use the cabs, so use everything, just bring your cymbals and your kick pedal. Like, yeah. that's all you need. Like, because yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah. For us, I think we just want less gear and it's so annoying <laughs> loading all that shit out. Like, Absolutely, yeah. and change over times and then like it's an engineer's nightmare if you've yeah. got to mic up three different drum kits on the night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things like that. It's just yeah. a, it's a pain in the ass, and it's something that you shouldn't have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, I've been in that situation too like where you got to lug your stuff on and like don't touch or don't even like look at their gear. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's going to break if you look at it. (laughs) Yeah, you feel like, you know, you're the teenager but your parents have made you sit at the kids' table at Christmas still. No, I'm not a little kid anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to eat my veggies. Yeah, no, it's a funny old scene but it's it's a good good old scene that we um, placed ourselves in. Yep. Yeah. Have you guys been working on anything? Is there any albums or songs in the pipeline or I know that you did a – was it a, a soundtrack or a song for a or was it like a brand Tasmania song? Yeah, we did a um, instrumental track for yep. their campaign. Yep. Um, we're invited to yeah, do the song for that, which was It was awesome. actually a really awesome experience. Yeah. To get brilliant. invited. I'm not sure why they invited us, but, but they did. And Tom Tom basically wrote that whole song and just smashed it out of the park. And I guess I'm not sure if you're already working on that kind of music. Yeah. But since Tom's been working on his own side project of he's got a whole album of post-rock music, um, which is amazing. Great. Um, Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> he's just got to finish it. I keep saying it's like Guns N' Roses Chinese democracy. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I'm ever going to see the end of it. Just, yeah. There's always going to be one more guitar to put on it. Yeah, um, it's driving me crazy, yeah. Yeah, but also we've – yeah, we're working on album number six, which is insane to say that we're working on our sixth album, you know. Most of my favourite bands put out an EP and an album and that was it. So to think we've managed to stay, this song's pretty crazy. Yeah. And we've actually just got two of those back mixed now, so we'll probably try and get a song out oh, the later half of this year. Yep. Um, and probably another one early next year and build a tour around that and then – I guess album next year sometime. Yep. Yeah. So you'll release singles up until that point kind of thing. Is yeah. That the approach? I don't know yep. what we've done the last couple of albums where we've gone and recorded one song or maybe two songs and we'll put those out and then we'll kind of do the rest of the album later. Right. Um, so I know the last album there was a song on it that was well over a year old. But by the time the album comes out, no one really cares because we armed it hard. Is that a dumb thing to do? Yeah. And I said I kind of want – Though, all those songs together because they're, you know, they're bookended f- for yep. me, you know. Mm. Yep. And, um, yeah, if one's been out for a year before the rest come out, I don't really care. And then what we found out quickly, no one else cares either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the that wasn't really the done thing for a while, but people seem to keep putting smaller amounts of music out more regularly yep. as opposed to 
nothing, 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 nothing. Here's a single and there's the album next month. Yep. Yeah. Seems to have changed. Would you agree with that? Like yeah, it's just it's that whole way people consume things now is like they move on to the next thing so quickly and this just buys us time essentially. Like yeah. Yeah. albums been out, the last album came out, what was it, January last year? Fair. But it feels forever ago. Yeah. And if we were to wait another two, three years, like yeah. people are like, look, look at who? Like who's that? <laughs> yeah. So this is kind of like keep, keeps things ticking over until yep. we can get the album finished and get it out Do you there. find um, it cohesive enough? Like I yeah. Know that, so if I'll go and track a, something and six months later I'm going try and just for the sake of this argument, I'll try and track the same song say six months later, it's – it's going to be a different song, yeah. Because either I've I've changed the way that I approach it, or I've done some live gigs and the the songs moved around a little bit since I first did it. Do, how do you guys find that? Like, is there some sort of like everything fits together nicely, or do you think like looking back a oh, year year after you've released that single, or oh, maybe we should have done that, or it's not as cohesive now as it was then? Or yeah, it's a great question. It's something that is to be considered. I think like. For us, when we overthink that too much, the bad thoughts come in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We, yeah, we kind of have a style. We try to make sure our albums have uh, peaks and valleys and tell a story. Yeah. But we're not too phased on, hmm, I wouldn't have done that bit like that now. Do you know what I mean? So once it's out, it's like put to bed. It's, yeah. It's behind yeah. you, moving on to another. We're pretty... We put a lot of effort into the arrangement of a song. Yeah. Not many stones don't get turned over, especially like in the early stages. If I'm just putting together some riffs, making an arrangement, I've really fussed over what I think is the best version of the song yeah. before I even give it to anyone else. So it's very rarely a year later, geez, I wish I did that different because yeah. I've probably fussed over it already. Sure. And then once we get together, like the things that aren't working, we'll work it out. Generally, out of the three of us, Patrick, Tyler and myself, someone will find something that probably could be better and bring it up and then the other ones will go, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we seem to be pretty all over it by the time it comes out. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like you've worked out each other's um – personalities and skills and you're yeah. sort of all working together as a team and, yeah, you know. I think if you've got the same engineer mixing it essentially and you've used at least some of the same gear, it ends up sounding cohesive enough to, yep. yeah, yeah, no one's going to. Too cohesive actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say I, I kind of do like it sometimes when I hear an album that sounds like each track's been done in a different studio and different. Yeah. As long as, as long as the songs relate or the, the style relates, I think tonally I, I kind of I'm intrigued by that. I think yeah. some of the best albums, well, not, not the best, some of the albums I like the most sort of sound like they've been done in yeah, different spaces and different yeah. times. Yeah, and, and it can still work definitely. Like, yeah, some of the albums like Oscar, like one of my favourite punk bands back in the day, like they'd like – this album where they've got like five different drummers on it right? and um, like recorded all these different studios. And you don't really notice like when you're listening to the whole album but if you pay really close attention, you go, actually, yeah, those drums all do sound slightly different. Yeah. Yeah, but the album as a whole still works. Yeah. I didn't know it was – I did not know that. Yeah. I knew they went through a lot of drummers but yeah. I didn't know there was 
There you go. We're all learning something today. (laughs) My classic example of that, and I only learned this not long ago, is Tattoo You by the Stones. Yeah. That was bits and bobs accumulated over years. My jaw hit the floor when I heard that. I was like, for me, that's a record. Sure. That's gone to the studio for, I don't know, a big band back then, probably 18 months or something, you know. (laughs) Um, And, you know, done the old-fashioned way. That blew me away and on, recorded on different kinds of tape yeah i found out yeah i was like hey yeah say what yeah, yeah. so i tend to since i heard that i'm not too worried about cool yeah. records sound okay yeah. easy because if you give it to someone in a track listing that flows and makes yeah. sense that's probably what we're most yeah um, yeah concerned with is from a yep. to b to the end yeah um does it flow good and if it's recorded and Chunks, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it seems to suit what we do anyway. Mm, sweet, yeah, it does seem to be a different angle, especially people listening to singles these days. And yeah. Yeah, listening to albums is a joy for me, but I, I'm not sure it relates to everyone. Yeah. I'm sure musicians probably love a good album, but um, definitely the average punter might just go, oh, I think it's one or two songs on Spotify and then move on to the next. Yeah, we love albums. Yeah. I love making records yeah. yeah, from start to finish, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know not everybody listens to albums from start to finish. To be honest, there's lots of albums out there that I might even only like four songs. Yeah, So I kind of get it. I don't yeah. judge people who are, no, you must listen to it from, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But I really enjoy having it documented and I guess our entire musical life is documented in chunks. Yeah. From this year to this year to this yeah, year. Yeah. When I'm an old grey man. That's cool. So I, I look forward to hearing the the new work you guys are going to be putting out in the near future. Um, hopefully I can come and see a tour, tour show or or at least um, check out the record. You guys pressing on vinyl these days I presume? Yep. Yeah. We actually sell lots of vinyl. Great. Yeah. And like always have, yeah. and yeah, it's just not dying, which is awesome. Yeah, and it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing, actually. Yeah, I can't believe the CD is the dead format. I know, shocked. <laughs> yeah, I've still got a couple. I'm pretty retro. Oh, nice. Where do you listen to it though? No, I don't. They just sit on the shelf. <laughs> Put Spotify on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Chance, for for joining us. Our for pleasure. A, a Pete. Very special chat, and um, yeah, all the best, and we'll see you guys around. Thanks, thanks very man. much, Pete. It's been great. Thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Say It With Guitars. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around to your mates, leave a good review, and hopefully we'll see you next time.